Thank you, Billy and team for leading us to worship this morning. Amen. Wow, that sounds like me getting out of bed in the morning. Does that sound like any of you? Well, fortunately or unfortunately, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, for some of us, uh, what I'm going to be talking about this morning is going to seem like it's forever away. And for others of us, it's going to seem like it's closer than we want it to be. Um, just want to welcome you this morning. My name's Terry Earwood. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone um, in the family ministry. I've it's my third time preaching this year. I, I don't know. I guess we're right. I guess we're out of pastors. But I'm not used to this. So those of you who are new, uh, please don't let me scare you off. Um, we have a great gifted team of pastors and uh, speakers, and uh, one of the things that uh, Cornerstone values um, is God's Word, and we take very seriously uh, the Word of God, and so this morning, if you're joining us for the first time or if you've been visiting, welcome, and again, I'm usually not the one up here every week, so um, come back next week and uh, hear, uh, hear Josh Walker. Uh, in fact, Josh is going to be uh, speaking on how Solomon couldn't find one wise woman among a thousand. So, good luck, Josh. <laughs> I am not preaching on that this morning. Um, well, today we're starting a second half uh, of Ecclesiastes. We've been in the book of Ecclesiastes. How many of you guys have been really enjoying reading and you've been diving in there and trying to figure out what in the world is Solomon saying? Okay, chapter 7, if you read chapter 7, that was only four of us. So, if you've been reading uh, chapter 7, you're probably wondering, where is Terry going to go today? And um, I'm not sure, but um, we're, we're going to focus our attention on the first part of chapter 7. But let me just kind of lay it out for us uh, so that you don't feel like um, you, you were cheated. Uh, in verses in chapter 7 and 8, Solomon's going to discuss the importance of wisdom in life. And he answers the question that he poses at the end of chapter 6 in verse 12. And the question that he poses is, For who knows what is good for man in life during the few and meaningless days he passes through like a shadow? And so he approaches this, the answer to this question in chapter 7 and 8 through a series of Proverbs. And in these Proverbs, he, he takes something that is good and he says, but this is better. And in fact, in chapter 7, he's going to use the word better 11 times. And in 7 and 8 combined, he's going to use it 14 times. And so that's kind of his theme. And it, let me just give us a, a quick um, flow of kind of how chapter 7 goes. He begins by saying, wisdom can make life better. Verses 1 through 10 He's contrasting these things that are good to things that in comparison are better. Verse 1, the day you were born versus the day you die. Verse 2, attending a funeral versus attending a party. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. Verse 4, he repeats verse 2, funeral is better than attending a party. 
And because I'm who I am, we're going to go back to verses 1 through 4 this morning, and that's where we're going to focus on. But verses 5 through 6, he talks about rebuke is better than praise. Verse 8, he talks about finishing is better than starting, and patience is better than pride. Verse 10, he says today is better than yesterday. So he's, he's contrasting these things that are good, and he's saying these are better. Keep that in mind as we go through the message today. Verses 11 through 25, Solomon comes to the conclusion that though wisdom can't explain all of the mysteries to this life, it can be beneficial for us when we apply it in life, okay? So like I said earlier, I'm going to be focusing this morning our time on the first four verses today. If you, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand because you're going to need it today. Uh, our ushers are coming. If you need a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's in the Old Testament. Everybody got their Bible. Wow. All right. We don't have to use the uh, stickers for stars this morning. Everybody did good. All right. If you're not familiar where the book of Ecclesiastes is, either look it up in your index there, in your glossary, or um, go to about halfway in the book and hang a Louie and go back a few pages and right after Proverbs you'll find Ecclesiastes. Alright? So, in these four verses we're going to find out that Solomon is dealing with grief and pain. He's going to use these words death, mourning, sorrow, and sad face. Solomon's take on this is that that present grief and pain may prove to be more beneficial in their effect upon us than all the celebration and partying the prosperous and successful people are doing. Okay? So this is Solomon's whole take as he starts putting these Proverbs together in the first 10 or 11 verses. Alright? So, with that in mind, Let me read, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. Beginning in verse 1, chapter 7. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning or a funeral than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you be lifted up today? My feeble attempt, Spirit of God, would you empower me? Would you open the ears of your people this morning to hear what you have to say, what your word has to say? Somehow help me communicate this morning this, the heaviness of this message and the subject that we're going to be talking about in a way that encourages us, in a way that inspires us this morning to face the reality of this life here on earth. So Spirit of God, move upon my heart. Allow me to have my thoughts collected and my words be honoring to you, Lord. 
and open up the hearts of your people this morning. Beginning with me. Use your word to expose our hearts. Open them up this morning. Do what your word does best. It gets in and it just seeps deep within our soul. And it presses truth upon our heart. And it brings us hope and life and freedom. And so would it do that this morning? In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So put the slide up on verses 2 and 4. It is better to go to a house of mourning. In other words, Solomon's saying it's better to be at a funeral than to be at a party. For death is a destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Wow. Why would Solomon say it's better to be at a funeral than at a party? I mean, is there really even any comparison when you think about it? How many of you, let me start off with this question. How many of you have never been to a funeral? Raise your hand. How many? Did I see a hand? You've never been to a funeral? Okay. All right. Could you briefly tell her what a funeral is about? Okay. <laughs> Everybody else has pretty much been to a funeral. Now, how many of you have been to a really, really sad funeral? Okay. Now, how many of you have been to a really, really joyful, um, inspiring, life-celebration funeral? Raise your hand. Okay. That's what we're going to go to today. I don't care what Solomon said. This is one we're going to go to. No. I want us to think about our life in view of celebrating it, not thinking of our life in view of death and protecting it. Okay? Did you get that? All right. So, why would Solomon say that? Well, think about a party versus a funeral, right? I mean, the, the reason why we love to go to parties is that we can escape problems in life, can't we? I mean, as we're at the party, you know, we're playing games, we're with our friends, things are going great, right? And it's kind of a way that we escape from the world. And no, no one of us, right, ever wants to commit that party foul where we bring something negative into the party or we kind of drag something, you know, that's really unimportant to everybody else. It's important to us, but it can kind of be put on the side, right? Do you ever find yourself saying, oh, whoa, whoa, don't talk about that. We're partying right now. We're having a great time. We're celebrating the good things. Well, that's what Solomon is saying. He's saying that many of us, himself included, pursued the life of partying. Not all negative partying, but in comparison to a party and a funeral, now you look at a funeral and you go, well, I might be with my friends, right? And we might be celebrating a little bit, but, but the attention's not on me, right? The attention's on the person that has died, and everybody knows a good party. I mean, we... We love to go because we can talk about ourselves and how great we are and how, you know, how awesome our life is. But at a funeral, we don't get a chance to do that, right? We hear about the person who has died. So what Solomon is saying here is that something that is good, that is a party, 
if that's all we do in life, if that's all we pursue, then it's not better than every once in a while going to a funeral and facing the reality that we're going to die. Why in the world would Solomon use this example? I'm going to give us three reasons why I think he might use this example that it would be better for us to attend a funeral than to go to a party. The first one is that funerals don't allow us to avoid death. See, funerals have a way of bringing the reality of death into our lives. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed that a man will die, and then he'll face judgment. It is appointed unto man to die. Some versions say to die once, and then the judgment. You see, for us, we live in this world, right, that we do everything we can to try and live longer. We try and avoid death every way possible. Um, Example of this, I typed in anti-aging in Google search the other day. I got 18,400,000 results. I'm still going from website to website. It's going to take me about 200 years. Um, there's all kinds of products out there, right, for us humans to, to hide our wrinkles and to extend our health and to avoid dying altogether. I did a quick search in three areas of anti-aging. I kind of got fired up with Google, so I kept going. Anti-aging creams. Started there. This industry is up in revenue from $80 billion in 2011 to $114 billion in 2015. Vitamins. I'm one of them. Over half American adults... Take at least one supplement a day. In 2009, consumers spent $26 billion on life-extending vitamins and supplements. On Google, keyed it in, there was only 2,340,000 results. Food, 51 million 900,000 results on Google. That There are actually websites that have food that will extend our life. This food, right, this one kind of enters into my life all the time. In fact, it entered into my life this week. I, I got an email or something that said, you know, stay away from any food that has this particular ingredient in it. And it was carrying. I, I believe I shouldn't have said it. Now everybody will be like me. Because I thought, well, that's in none of the food I eat because it's a substance that's found in dairy products that kind of keeps, you know, the, um, it, it keeps it solid. So I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, I eat a little yogurt, I eat a little cottage cheese, and those are good for you, right? I'm thinking, and I start going down the list of ingredients. Every one of them has this carrageen in it, and I'm thinking, all right, well, I won't eat anything but pine, pine combs and pine straw. I mean... <laughs> What do you do? Now, before you shut me off, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about our health. And I'm not saying that all of these things or one of these things, Kerrigan or whatever, is bad. But I'm just stating the obvious, right? That we are infatuated 
with living longer. Now let's think about this a minute. Do you ever wonder sometimes in the prolonging of our life, we lose the joy and the freedom and the purpose for living? We are so consumed with staying alive that we forget the purpose of why we're living. We forget the freedom. I mean, now I can't even eat yogurt. I mean, how bad is that? Right? And if we're not careful, we live our lives consumed with not dying. You see, instead of living our lives knowing that we will die, now, I warned you, this is going to be a heavy subject this morning. But Solomon, in his old age, this is what he's seeing happening. This is the reality of what he's come to in, in, in chapter 12. And in 1 Kings 4, you see where his life ends. I mean, 1 Kings 11, you see where his life ends. And this is what he's coming to. And he's saying, it's not good that we avoid death. And especially if we're believers, if we're followers of Christ. Because everything that we believe in does not hide from death. It does not push death aside. It confronts it head on. You see, biblical faith is not a means of escape. Biblical faith doesn't advocate that we empty our minds through this blind faith. Or we stick our head in the sand as we face these very unpleasant facts about life. Biblical faith is not getting lost in this fantasy world of entertainment and electronics and drugs and alcohol. In the harshness of reality. No, biblical faith doesn't ignore the reality that death happens. See, biblical faith doesn't advocate the increase in both noise and activity that distract us away from being still before the Lord and examining and evaluating what our lives really are about. You see, we know those people, and Todd talked about it last week. Solomon warned us about being so busy and so active in our lives. Why? Because we can't stand still before the Lord for one minute. We can't even still our minds sometimes. Long enough to evaluate where are we at in life. What is our life about? How are we living? Not how are we dying, but how are we living? See, biblical faith takes death head on. Because biblical faith understands that the healing of our pain for which the Bible speaks about, right? Would we all agree that in the Bible it does speak about pain? Would we agree to that? Say amen. Okay. Would we agree that it talks about injustices? Would we agree that it talks about suffering? Would we agree that it talks about death? Those are hard things. And to try and throw a drug at them or try and throw alcohol, a relationship at them, no, biblical faith throws the truth at it. It throws the reality that one day we'll face death. The healing of our pain for which the Bible speaks requires us to confront this reality rather than escape from it. 
You see, there's a refuge in God. There's a draw near to me and I will draw near to you. He's a strong tower. Run to him. Not run away from him. Funerals remind us that we can't escape death. Statistics have been the same from the day that Adam and Eve partook of the fruit. One out of one die. Doesn't change. They remind us that we can't escape death. Number two, funerals remind us that our lives have a deadline. The great theologian Woody Allen he made this statement. I'm not afraid of dying. I just, want to, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Make a right in your Bibles and keep going into the New Testament. You see, funerals remind us that our lives have a deadline. This is more obvious for some people than others, right? Because of sickness or because of injury or the reality of age. Some of us are, are just older. Death is before us. And the reality that sin has brought death into the world, we all will one day die. Our lifespan here in the U.S. is 75 to 80, and this is, you know, that's based on male, female, and statistics. So don't, those are just statistics, okay? But but basically, we have a lifespan of 75 to 80. You know, the Bible talks about three score and ten. So, um, and in different parts of the world, it's totally different. Last year, just to bring a little reality, we did about 30 funerals here of people of all ages. I think the youngest was 18, Pat. Was the youngest about 18? And it went to 80-something. This year, we've done 17 funerals. All different ages, all different reasons. The reality is that because of sin, our body is getting older. And we're going to die. Here's what I mean by biblical faith. Look at chapter 5, verse 1, 2 Corinthians. Now we know that if the earthly tent or body that we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed. I've grown a lot lately. Longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this body or tent, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Death, God confronts it with giving us His Spirit to guarantee what is to come. First Peter says a deposit has been made for us that we can spend eternity with our Father. Amen? As I, as I thought about this, that, that a funeral reminds us that life has a deadline, pulled out 
our prayer list for our church. This is our sick list. Many of you, uh, some of you are here today, praise the Lord, and many of you we've visited in the hospital, we've prayed for you, we've trusted God, the elders have anointed many of you with oil, we've prayed the prayer of faith. All of you can't see it, but I've got highlighted in pink. Those are people with cancer. 14 of them since March of this year. Now, I don't want to say that cancer is the great death sentence. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is those who have cancer, a reality that there's a deadline on their life is probably a little bit more real, isn't it? Not that they can't trust God to get them through it. Not that they can't believe that there's healing. But they are probably brought to the thought, at least, that there's a deadline on their life. Fourteen since March. You see, death is an evangelist. Did you get that? Death is an evangelist. It helps us see that there is a great gulf between us and God. And it places us, like nothing else, in this position to truly worship and repent of our sins. Death and pain and suffering, like nothing else, brings us to a place of reality. Doesn't give us all the answers. Doesn't take fear out of death. Doesn't take the enemy of death away from us. But it brings us into this place that we don't go much. Follow me? Is it sad enough in here? Are you? <laughs> Should I keep going or are we all right? Okay. You see, an evangelist helps us see that life on this earth is temporary. And that we need to live for life in eternity. And that's the promise of the gospel. What an evangelist does, he proclaims good news. Death in God's grace, death and illness offer us a gift of knowing the preciousness of mortal life. And knowing how fast it will pass away, we recognize the importance of not wasting time. I was going through uh, my mind, which didn't take long, um, but... <clears throat> Here, I got this letter. Many of you probably got it because there's a lot of email addresses on here I recognize. But one of our members who is, has cancer. And he wrote this out the day before he was going in. Uh, I think it was his third surgery he was about to go in for. And he writes this. Without knowing what tomorrow will bring, I'm called to speak out. Let it be known that I know where I'm going and what the future holds. Well, tomorrow is a big day. I will undergo surgery to have tumors in and around my left kidney removed. All of the doctors who are treating me believe that this is the best option. I'm skipping through this. But over the last 8 to 10 months, I've had many people ask me if I'm concerned about dying. I can tell you the truth. Even though I'm going through uncharted waters, at least for me, God has given me a calmness that I have really never experienced before. I know that I am walking the path that He has allowed. I know that through this walk, he will use my experience in some positive way for his glory. As I look back in my life, 
God has been so loving towards me. He gave me loving parents that taught me right from wrong. Loved me as much when I succeeded as when I failed. A sister who stood by me and supplied me with good wisdom. He set me on a career path with the police department where I could help others daily. He gave me a wife who has loved me from the first day and honored me and walked by my side. With our union, we have two wonderful children, both of which I am so proud. And then, through God's guidance, He led us into fostering and adopting. Because of this path, we've been able to continue to share our love with the two boys. He goes on to talk about God placed four people in His life. You see where facing death Causes us to think a little bit. This fourth person he talks about was a young man named Clayton. He'd never met him, but he heard him speak here at Cornerstone. Some of you may remember him. When he asked if he was afraid of dying, he responded with, I'm not afraid of dying myself. He said he was frightened for those who were dying and didn't know it. He was frightened that those people who had the opportunity to develop a personal relationship with Christ, but failed to do so because their life was too busy. Here was a man who was 19 or 20 years old. He had been dealing with cancer all of his life and his treatments had come to an end. And in the end, he was traveling to different churches talking about the reality that he would be dying. The guy, our guy finishes, uh, Gary, I'll just say it. He finishes by saying, well, I truly believe that this is only a stepping stone in my journey. Clayton's words hit home. We do not know when we will be called home. Ask the Lord to come into your heart. Take time to develop the relationship with Christ. Look for someone who will walk with you. That is living. That is facing the reality of death and saying, I'm not concerned about dying. I'm concerned about you living. I'm concerned about you who are walking around as dead, even spiritually who claim to be followers of Christ. I'm concerned that you're really not living. Death is an evangelist. In God's grace, death and illness offer us the beginning of wisdom and insight about how to live life well during our time here. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let us be mindful of every day that that is a gift from God. And that wisdom would lead us and the gospel will forever change us. So funerals remind us that life has a deadline. Funerals remind us that we can't escape death. And Let me talk about our third point. Funerals bring us to a place of evaluating our lives. Funerals bring us to a place of evaluating our lives. You see, take, take for a moment yourself back into the last funeral maybe you were in. Think about what was going through your mind. You may have questions come up like, how am I doing in my own life? Or what am I living for? What would people say if they were up there speaking at my funeral? 
See, unfortunately, most of us will never have the opportunity to read our own obituary before we die. However, if we had a, this opportunity and this chance to, the question would be, would we change the way we're living? And this is what I want us to make the transition in our heart and mind at right now in the message. Is let's stop thinking about dying and let's start thinking about living. Because that's what Solomon is warning us to take from this. Ran across this story about a person who did have the privilege of hearing his, or maybe not, of hearing his obituary before he died. Does anybody know of a man named Alfred Nobel? Anybody recognize that name? Alfred Nobel. Okay. Does anybody recognize Nobel Peace Prize? Okay. Most of us think of the Nobel Peace Prize when we hear the name I just mentioned. What some of you may not know is that much of Alfred Nobel's life had nothing to do with peace at all. Alfred actually invented dynamite and other explosives. Triglyceride was one of the things that he was experimenting with. In fact, he was trying to, to put it in a form that he could encapsulate it so that it would wreak havoc, like even beyond dynamite. And while they were doing this experiment, his brother was doing it with a couple of other people in the lab, and it blew up, and it killed his brother and other people. Many, uh, let me go back. Alfred actually invented dynamite and other explosives, many of which were used in highly destructive weapons. He made his fortune from his work. Nobel was forced to rethink his life when he read his own obituary. You see, when his brother died, apparently everybody in the area thought that it was Alfred that actually died. And so a newspaper writer mistakenly believed that Alfred himself had passed away. An obituary stated, the merchant of death is dead. Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. Nobel was disturbed by the assessment and decided to leave a better legacy. At this moment, he realized two things. One, that this was how he was going to be remembered. The second thing he remembered is that this was not how he wanted to be remembered. You see, when he died, he signed over most of his estate, which was millions and millions of dollars, to establish the Nobel Peace Prize. What would your obituary say this morning if someone was to read it? You see, it's true. Death is our great enemy. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. Yet in God's grace, the paradox is this. That death becomes our friend because it convinces us to die to self and to yield the throne of our lives to God who is a sovereign king. You see, death cannot be escaped, and it won't be escaped. 
it is best met face to face on the road and studied. Verses 1 through verses 1. A good name is better than fine perfume and the day of death better than the day of birth. What does he mean by that? I don't think Solomon means that you can measure the day you were born being right less better than the day in which you died. I think what Solomon is trying to say is when we were born, we were given a name. When we came forth from our mother's womb, we were known, and we were known by that name. And when we died, that name goes on the tombstone and in the obituary column. But I think here's what Solomon was getting at. Neither the name when we were born or the name on the obituary column matters near as much as what is common, commonly known as the dash. The dash that separates the day of your birth and the day of your death. So Solomon's question this morning to us is, how's your dash going? How's your dash going? Would you be able to associate and relate to Paul in Philippians chapter 1? And would you say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going, if, if I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what I shall choose, I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Is that who you would relate to? Is that what your dash would say of your heart? Man, I struggle with this one. I think of the, this world way too much. I'm way too satisfied with being here. And it, it, it causes me struggle. Because I know that I'm made for eternity. And yet, the world's not even real good to me, really. But I hang on, I cling on to it. Too much. Where are you at in the dash? Would you relate with Solomon? Searching for meaning in life. Holding on to these, these, these objects that maybe extend our life more. Or, or being infatuated with wisdom and, and things that are good. But they don't keep you living longer. You have to face the reality of death. Well, maybe you're in that category. Where do you start? Where do you start? Well, first of all, and I'll close with this. Stop long enough to evaluate your life. Think about that dash. Do what happens at a funeral. Stop long enough to evaluate your life. Number two, ask God to be involved. Surrender everything to Him right now. Allow Him the authority in your life to work out the details that are going to have to be worked out. I know. When you surrender completely to God, your life doesn't stop. Allow Christ the authority in your life to work out the details. Number three, some of you may need to adjust your bucket list. 
And number four, believe God. Uh, Belly, you want to come up? Believe God for great faith to trust. He can work in you. And He can change your life. Billy's going to lead us in a song, I think. Okay. They didn't want to hear me sing. Uh, Billy's going to come up and lead us in a song. I want us to do the first thing as he sings. We're not going to have the words on the screen. He's going to be playing and singing in the background. I want us to stop, and I know, because I'm that age, some of us have to go and use the restroom, things like that, but I really want us to stop and evaluate our lives. We're going to give you four or five minutes through this song to do that. At the end of the song or during the song, if you want to change the path you're on, if you want to make your life count, if you want to make your dash count, come up front. Talk to some uh, pastors and elders up here by the prayer room. If you want to be baptized, if, if, if you've uh, asked Christ in your life, you've trusted Him, you want to display that publicly to the body, do that this morning. God bless you. Thank you.
Father, thank you that even when we're not aware of your presence, of what you're doing in our lives, you are. That you pursue us. That you long for intimacy with us. And there's nothing that surprises you. So we just say thank you, Lord. As your people, we say thank you.